Welcome to The Hype Within, exploring journeys of authentic leadership and growth. On the show, tech leaders will share their stories of developing their leadership skills and challenges they faced along the way. You'll learn about their approaches to self-reflection and personal growth and how they've been able to build a foundation of authenticity that has propelled them to success. I'm your host, Hannah Jakover, B2B marketing leader turned leadership and executive coach. Are you ready to get hyped up? Let's dive in. Hey leaders, I'm so excited because up until now, we have been talking to a lot of leaders that are in really functional marketing roles or functional operational roles, doing a lot of the strategy and the tactical work as well as leading their teams. And that has been amazing hearing from those kinds of leaders. But what I have been really excited about is bringing on some new voices that can shed a completely different perspective on leadership and authentic growth and how organizations can better lead their teams, better create experiences for their people. This means from my perspective is bringing on some people that are actually in people roles and looking all day long at how we can better the experience of others in our organizations. So without further ado, I'm super excited to introduce Lauren Coster, who is a people and experience expert, has spent quite a bit of time in tech in both operational roles and then transferring into people roles. So Lauren, hi, how are you? Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. So my name is Lauren Kester. I am currently in a head of people position and I have been in a people capacity for quite a long time. As mentioned, I have had an interesting career. I actually started off doing very random things out on Long Island, like door-to-door sales. And I worked for Jenny Craig, rest in peace, funny enough, just to like figure out what I wanted to do. I did not graduate from college and my parents said you had to have a full-time job and figure out what you want to do. And I had no idea. I just knew I liked being around people. Then I dabbled in the worlds of PR and communications, and I worked for Current TV, where I worked with Al Gore. That was a really, really cool experience, especially being completely outside of your comfort zone, where you are around like former vice presidents of America, and you're like 23 years old. Like, what am I doing here? But after that, I just realized I didn't like PR like I thought I did at the time, and it was before social media, where. I'd The coolest thing was television and new shows coming online and celebrity. And I wanted to be around that. And I just hated it so, so, so much. So I took a step back and tried to figure out what I really wanted to do. And what I extracted from working at Current TV was it was a creative environment. And I didn't really know much about who I wanted to be when I grew up, but I knew I wanted to be around creative people. So I actually decided to take a step back and take a step into tech, which was coming online, which never like looking back on it now, it was when Buzzfeed was becoming Buzzfeed, which shows you how old I am. And I applied for a position at Buzzfeed. I got offered the job. I didn't feel like it was a good culture fit for me, which I'm sure we'll get into deeper in this conversation, but I declined the position. I actually was introduced to a company called Betaworks from Buzzfeed and their affiliates. And Betaworks was the first startup studio of its kind in New York City. So a company that was incubating companies, basically a person, an idea, and seed investing in companies. 
So they did a little bit of both. But when you walked into the Betaworks office at that time, it was literally a melting pot of creative people just coming up with ideas and running around and building it. And the second I walked in, I knew I needed to be a part of it. So I started there as the organizer of chaos. Funny enough, they let me make my own title and build my own desk for a fun fact. That was how startups used to roll back in the day. And I left there four years later as the VP of people and operations because I did everything, right? And again, I'm sure we'll get into this in the conversation, but being the go-to for all these companies that were spinning out of Betaworks. So everything from hey, Lauren, we need to hire somebody. We need to write an offer letter for them. Oh my gosh, we need a bank account. Oh my gosh, we need a PEO. Or, oh, this person's not a good fit. Like, what do we do? Should we terminate them? Like all those things were falling on my plate. And I fell in love with people and everything to do with it. But I also had a hand in real estate development, funny enough. <laughs> so whenever these companies were, were too big for the Betaworks offices, they'd come to me and say, hey, we need an office. What should we do about this? And I would go out and I would help them and we'd figure out spaces for them. And I actually left Betaworks to go to a company called Galvanize where I was the head of market development. So I'd go into a new city. I'd help figure out what the real estate lease looked like. We'd design the offices, we'd build it out. But then my job was really important because I'd be on the ground in the new city developing relationships, but also hiring for the physical site when it opened and basically writing all the operational playbooks, hiring all the people, training them. And again, it was like that love for people and building people and physical spaces at the time. Long story short, I spent a lot of time in co-working, doing the same thing over and over again. And then I actually went back to Betaworks to be a founder of a company called Studios. And this is the value of relationships because I never thought I'd be able to A, go back to a company I left and B, be a founder. But I left on such great terms and such great relationships there that we started this amazing company and it was meant to help entrepreneurs who we thought were isolated be around other builders and other entrepreneurs that were like-minded to be better builders. Then COVID happened and the physical space, it still exists, but we weren't able to expand much further. And then I stepped into like a formal people role. And now here I am several years later. So I guess the big takeaway from all that is that people threaded the needle through everything for me. And I just knew from terrible, terrible experiences that I had and amazing experiences that I had, what I think a healthy culture should look like. And that's really what I try to bring to every company that I go to now. Amazing. I just learned so many new things about you. You have such a cool background and goodness, like so many hats that you wear. I'm curious, how did you narrow? How did you go through the process of being like, no, I don't want to do these 20 things. I want to do this one thing. Great question. I think it honestly, finally, finally clicked for me. It was right before COVID actually. So I took a director of operations role at a staffing company actually. And I was there for almost two years. And director of operations, there was really a people role. Like for all intensive purposes, we had 800 contingent workers or contractors all around the country, and we needed to develop their experience. So like they would step into a client space and they needed to be treated like a full-time worker. And we needed to navigate what that looked like during COVID too. But what I hated about that job <laughs> was everything 
compliancy facing, right? Like HR, you definitely have to do compliance stuff, but this was like a whole new level of compliance. We were dealing with the Department of Transportation and government agencies, and I could do operations with my eyes closed. I could be in spreadsheets all day and I could figure out budgets and figure out how to logistically handle things. I mean, that's what I do in my spare time, but to do it all day, I didn't feel connected to it. So I knew that the thing I love the most always tie back to people and experiences. Even in my own home life, if I have a party, I'm not figuring out what's going to stress me out as the host. I'm figuring out what the experience is like when people walk into my house, right? Like, are they greeted with a cocktail? Are they doing that? Like, I just completely obsess about making sure that people love where they are and love what they do and love what they're being. They're in at that moment, I guess. And with working 80% of our lives, if I think that's the current statistic, we are right now behind our computers all freaking day. Like if you don't like where you're working, what are you doing there? Right. And like, that's the first thing I feel totally passionate about in my life to work, to work towards, I guess. <laughs> and it sounds like you had some experiences too, where you were like, wait, this experience isn't what I want. Oh yeah. Sometimes when you go through those experiences, you understand the value of then being able to provide that for somebody else, which I think is really powerful. hundred percent. Like, I don't think I would be people and experience expert, quote unquote, if I didn't go through the terrible things. Like I literally got fired from one of my first jobs for like pushing the chair at my boss because I didn't like the way he talked at me, right? So like I've done, I've been around people that are harassing. I've been the employee that acts poorly when they're terminated. Like I've done all of it, right? So I don't see it through like, a, I've had a perfect career and I've done all these amazing things. I don't actually think that's a badge of honor. Like I ever put someone on a performance improvement plan. I've also been on a performance improvement plan. I know what it feels like. And I'm not going to treat you like I was treated during that moment, but let's talk about how we can coach you up in this situation. I don't want you to leave. If I wanted you to leave, I would terminate you. I want you to get better, right? So like, I think it's all about the messaging and the way you present yourself. And I wouldn't know that unless I went through terrible things myself. That's one thing I feel like people are sometimes scared of putting out on the table is you look at all these people that you admire in your life, but you have to realize they're human too. They've had experiences that have knocked them down where they have been the one in the wrong, where they have acted in a way that they didn't want. And they're just people too that have taken the time to reflect and grow and then do something about it and actually use their talents to then mold the world or mold an environment in a way where, okay, I didn't have that and I can offer this to somebody or at least inspire them or empower them to have it, which I think is amazing. I'm also a fairly new parent. So, you know, I'm, I have a three-year-old and I think that really changed my view on a lot of things, especially when it comes to failure. Like I think I want my daughter to live in a world where you're going to mess up and it's going to be okay, right? Like even in the worst of situations, we can grow from this and get better. And I bring that to everything. Like I own all of the crazy things I've done. Like I think it's so important to be vulnerable, right? And that's definitely something I try to teach my leaders too. Mm, yeah, I agree. And it holds you back if you don't lean into it, I think. Like I actually was just having this, I thought this morning, I shy away sometimes from telling my own story and sharing my experiences. But I think when I don't use my voice, it actually holds me back. 
from growth and from helping others grow. So I think that's a really powerful message. Yeah. So speaking of culture, speaking of environments and moving a little bit into leadership and thinking about, okay, we know that creating these positive, productive work environments obviously are beneficial for many reasons, but how do we create them? And if you're a leader, what are some of the best practices that you can employ to create and contribute to a positive and productive work environment where the output is happy, healthy humans and wins at work? For sure. I think there's really three consistencies that do not need to change. I actually don't like the term best practice. I think there's just like building blocks. So I always say communication, transparency, and feedback constantly, right? And feedback is pretty similar to communication, but it goes a little bit further where you're giving and getting feedback constantly, right? So whether it's an employee MPS survey, quarterly, monthly, whatever you want to do that you establish or a mandate on how often managers are meeting with their employees. Is it once a week, once a month? And what do they have to cover? It shouldn't just be one-sided where the employee is getting talked at. It should be a collaboration of feedback and roadblocks and moving forward together, right? No one wants to hire somebody and have to terminate them. That costs time and money for everyone. So We need to make sure from the jump, we're communicating expectations, we're being transparent at an organizational level. We're doing great, we're doing terribly. That again goes into communication. Hey, we hit our goals last month, we didn't. And just giving feedback so everyone knows what is going on and how they're doing, how they're performing, how they get better, if they're not meeting expectations, how they get there, if they don't think they're a fit for the organization. It's again, two-sided, right? Like no pressure. If you don't want to be here, please don't, but tell me and we can figure this out together. Mm, Yeah. Those are great. Communication, feedback, and transparency. I'm curious when you're in an organization working with leaders and teams, what are some things that you do in your role to, you know, encourage these three pillars or building blocks? Yeah, I think One of the things as a head of people that I have found to be very important is having up-to-date like playbooks or operating procedures or what have you. So if we are going to terminate someone, for instance, right, let's put a termination plan in place. That termination plan is not only going to include the date they're being terminated if we're offering them severance, but the path of communication that needs to transpire, right? So We are going to communicate to this individual that they're getting terminated. These are the stakeholders that are part of that conversation. This is the messaging we need to send immediately to our current team members, right? So the people that are working directly with them, following a message to the organization, no secrets, right? Transparency. At Occupier, my former company, we went as far as tying into the reason why these individuals were terminated. Not like someone did something terrible, but This was a performance-based decision. We told the employee that when we were terminating them, we are going to communicate these things, right? So we want to make sure that's okay with you. So everyone has buy-in. There's no surprises. There's no bad blood. We don't want people to think there's layoffs, right? Again, this ties into communication. So I would say that having things developed and having everyone bought into 
a problem that you're trying to solve or a situation that you're facing is really important to make sure there's consistencies and people are treated the same. Also, I think it's very important for leaders to meet often, right, as a group. So I know a lot of organizations where I've started that there aren't consistent touch bases on the leadership level and even further on the company level. So there's no cadence for all hands meetings or what have you. I think it's really important for companies to have consistent touch points with their leaders and with the company. Even if there's nothing really important to say, just get together, right? If you're in a remote environment, especially, leaders should show their face. And another thing I recommend, which I have seen quite a bit lately, there's not necessarily many voices on the leadership side that are vocal, especially in like a Slack environment. So typically you'll have like one or two leaders that will chime in on Slack and say something or make an announcement, but good cultures have people that want to work together, are solving problems together, are collaborating on the culture. Hey, let's run this fun event, right? So you're not just hearing from one person over and over again and it's getting stale. Like all the leaders are bought into communicating and so they're leading by example, right? They're saying like, hey, folks, I have this problem I'm trying to solve. Does anyone want to jump in? Even if you really know the solution, it's just showing that you should kind of like go out and put yourself out there, be vulnerable, look for solutions together. And I think it creates a really good culture. Yeah, I think that it, I would totally agree. And I think that it goes back to the building blocks, right? Like having that foundation of communication, feedback, transparency from the get-go is super powerful because then everyone's going to be thinking about that from a leadership perspective of, okay, am I communicating effectively? Am I providing feedback? Am I being transparent in everything that they do? I also love the idea of having these documented processes. How many times have you worked at an organization where like, it's just a, a shit show when somebody gets fired and the rumor mill goes and you are stalking calendars and oh my God, it's awful. Yeah. Or on the flip side, being part of that decision I've been a manager where I've been part of that decision, but then I'm like, okay, cool. Now what do I do? <laughs> right. And I think that that is a really good segue into having somebody that could be in that seat, right? To say, okay, we decided this person's not a fit. Let the people team handle this or the people person handle this. So they're thinking about both sides. They're thinking about the needs of the business, but are, they're also advocating and caring for the employee. It's not always thought of like that. It's not always black and white. We have to think about certain situations, especially if you're terminating someone. Okay, we hired this person three years ago. They've done a pretty good job. They did one misstep that really put the nail on the coffin. What does their severance package look like? Like, what are their circumstances? We have to think about those things as people leaders. And oftentimes, I've seen the high level leaders maybe just be like, mm, let's just give them the standard severance package because whatever, they're an employee. Like, no, we need to think about it a little bit more. So people leaders, <laughs> that was what I was getting at. <laughs> yeah. Hire one today. <laughs> so I want to dig into feedback because, oh, feedback. <laughs> There's a stat out there. I hope I get it right. If not, I'll correct it. 64% of managers are scared or avoid giving their direct reports feedback on a daily basis, like informal feedback outside of performance reviews. What do you think about that? <laughs> that scares the crap out of me. And I don't doubt that. I'm actually surprised it's not higher, to be honest with you. 
Yeah. The avoidance feedback, it's terrifying. It really is. So, okay. How should leaders approach feedback and not just performance reviews, but like feedback in general and performance reviews? Yeah. So, I mean, as mentioned earlier, I think there needs to be an expectation set at a company level about how often leaders should be meeting with their direct reports, right? Like I always say meet with them once a week, even if it's 15 minutes. What I do before, when I have like my direct report one-on-ones, I have an ongoing agenda that I share with my team. The meeting is for them to come to me with things that they need to like air grievances about or talk about or roadblocks or what, or, Hey, how are you doing? I had this cool idea for an event, whatever it is, right? Like come to me with things. The expectation of the manager is to give feedback every single meeting. You did really good this week on that project, as mentioned on Slack or whenever we talk, like, I think you could have done a little bit better on that. Like, let's focus on this the next time. If you are going into a performance review, mid-year, end of year, whatever it is, and you are being surprised by feedback, your manager is failing you. You should never be anxious when you're walking into a performance review, period, end of story. It's like, think about your inner relationship or you're married or whatever the heck it is. And you have one of those explosive fights that we've all had. And the person is like putting the seeds in their mouth and saving them to explode at you and has all these little nuts to share about all these things you did three months ago that really angered them. It's the same idea with the performance review, right? Like do not save feedback for performance review. You're going to have people that are completely demotivated. They're not going to know if they have a job within the next three months, because maybe they didn't get great feedback or they're like, maybe going to get promoted or get a salary adjustment, but they weren't even prepared for that. So how do they even get to that next level? That's just like good or bad. If you're saving feedback, I don't think it goes well. I've seen it not go well. And as an employee, you've mentioned this earlier, the anxiety you feel going into a performance review as an employee, if you're not getting feedback, it's consuming. You can't even focus on your work for that week. Right? So I'd say, for leaders, have ongoing cadences where you're meeting with your employees, you're giving feedback. You can always reach out to me. I'll give you a template of a one-on-one if you want it, but just really simply Google, well, how do I have conversations with my team? If you're nervous about having them, talk to a peer and like role play, right? Like, is there another manager on your team that you can say like, hey, I'm having this problem with such and such. I really want to like role play with you when I give them feedback. I've done that before and it's a little cheesy, but you kind of shake the nerves out so you feel like you can give that person feedback. In terms of performance reviews, I'm a crazy big believer in having them on a like a consistent schedule. So I mentioned earlier, employee NPS I think is incredibly important. We know how we're doing as a high level organization. I like to do those quarterly. I believe in performance reviews twice a year, a lighter touch one middle of the year and a heavier one at the end of the year. For finance purposes, I always try to tie promotions into one of those if we can. So we can try to like forecast budget sort of things like, okay, six months before this, we think these people are going to get promoted if they stay on the right path. You try to tie it to middle or the end of the year if you can as an organization. And again, these little feedback moments that are happening on a consistent schedule that the managers should be held accountable for. Like at my current organization, 
we have at a minimum a monthly employee and manager outline that needs to be completed. So it's like a mini review, essentially. And they, the managers have to send it in to me as the people leader. And if not, I chase them. Like, where is this? Why did you not give this person feedback? It's in writing. So when it does come time for performance reviews, we can just pull that out and say, hey, here's all the things you can extract from it. Like, oh, they weren't doing well on this in February, but it's June now and they did a really great job on this. I should highlight that in their performance review, right? Or, ooh, that thing that they weren't doing good in March, they're still not doing good on. I should write that down. So that's gone, I think, a really long way just with transparency and communication since we rolled it out two months ago. But I think that's a bare minimum once a month and it doesn't have to be as formal. That's a great process to put in place. Again, goes back to those building blocks that you mentioned. I am so curious because, and I am sure other people have heard this too. Let's smash this myth. (laughs) I have been told so many times in my career, and I know that it's not true, that performance reviews cannot be tied to compensation or promotions or anything like that. And what you said, like activated something in me. I was like, I have been told the opposite of that for so long. And I was always like, why? It doesn't make sense. It does not make sense. You hired me because of performance and I'm doing that performance. And with the understanding that there is compensation tied to that performance. And now we're saying we cannot have a performance review where we then tie it to compensation. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I get the idea of it because I think in the world of HR and leadership, you don't want people to hustle right before performance reviews. So that's the only thing that the manager remembers when it comes time for performance reviews. But that's why the ongoing feedback is, and especially documented ongoing feedback is so important, right? So you can point to it. I So I completely disagree with that. If you have a form of communication and feedback in place. I could see the flip side if you don't, right? Because you're like, all right, well, it's December. Look how much this SDR blew it out of the water, October and November. And here we are in December, I guess. I have to give the promotion. Can't work like that, right? Like if you're doing twice a year performance reviews, we are looking at January to June. If we're doing, again, twice a year, then we're looking July to December, June to November, right? Like that's, we're not looking at one month. We're looking at the big picture of that. And then we're tying a promotion in theory to that or a salary adjustment to that. Promotions should happen anytime though. It doesn't have to just be tied to performance reviews. Same with PIPs, right? Or performance improvement plans. Those two things can happen at any time. If somebody is taking on more work or they stepped into a new role and they're not necessarily getting a formal promotion, but they're like an interim lead of a team or what have you, let's give them a spot bonus, right? They're doing more work. Let's incentivize them. We want them to grow. So I don't necessarily think the performance reviews are like a one-off for either of those things, but I think it is a nice formality, right? To say, hey, everyone, if you are scoring a certain number or above on your performance reviews, everyone's raise is going to affect January 1st, right? And then people that maybe didn't score or didn't do great, but they're still with the organization, then see like, oh man, people are getting raises or they are getting promotions. Like I should work harder this year. And how do I get to that point? Let me meet with my manager. Let me meet with my head of people to figure out how I level up so I can be on that list, right? Yeah, that's super helpful. And I think too, a great lesson in that is it's okay to push back. It's okay to ask, hey, why aren't we doing this? Or why are we doing this? Especially if you don't have a people leader in your organization, 
you know, ask those questions. Like, why is this the way that we do something? Because more often than not, it's just because it's the way that it's been done, <laughs> not necessarily because it's the best. And that's why I don't like the term best practices because it's not a best practice. Like every single company that we all admire, look at Amazon, for example. Amazon started as a book company, right? Like that was it. That was probably their best practice. We ship books. No, they figured out what was needed and they iterated and they did it over again and they did it over again. That's what we need to do, especially in startups. You can't just say like, eh, this is the best practice. That's it. Leaders have to take an, or their SOPs or best practices or whatever you want to call them quarterly. Does that still exist? Do we change to a new system? Are we doing it this way? Like you need a set of fresh eyes. Somebody else comes in, you hire someone else on your team talk to them. Maybe they have a better way of doing it. Let's not just get stuck. You're never, ever going to get better. I love that growth mindset. And okay, I'm going to go back to something you said, because it also activated something where I'm always very interested in the bridge between personal and professional development as a coach. That's where I like to sit with my clients. And you gave a really amazing analogy around blowing up at your partner. You have this argument, you've kept everything inside. This happens all the time. And you were comparing that to giving feedback, right? I had this thought around, gosh, like what a reflection of how we deal with our own emotions in our own lives. For the average person, we are told socialize, not necessarily by like your mom or your dad or your uncle, but generally speaking, the collective is told, don't deal with your emotions. Emotions are bad. Don't say how you're feeling. And then what do we do? We keep them all inside. We internalize them and then we blow up. And so I see this really interesting almost projection or pattern around then that kind of becomes the way that you communicate. That just becomes the way that you move through life if you don't feel and express your emotions and let them pass through you. And I think that there's just a connection there when you think about that personal versus professional development. And if you've done that, look at how you show up in your professional life and the way that you communicate and just see if there's a pattern there. Yeah, I'm like uh, pausing because I actually have let go on my wrist and it's from a song by this band called Frau Frau. And it says, let go because there's beauty in the breakdown. And I, I hold that so close to me because I was in a very long-term relationship in high school that had toxic shit. It's high school, whatever. But I carried it with me for a very long time and I carried a lot of very hard feelings in that. I never really felt the emotion that I actually shouldn't have felt. And so I needed to let go, right? Like I was angry when I really should have been sad and grateful and reflecting about how beautiful certain aspects of it were, right? So I really try to remember that being emotional or being dramatic as women are often called is a beautiful thing. And like, we need to be vulnerable, right? So you'll probably hear me if you ever hear me on another podcast or see a LinkedIn post of mine, you'll hear me use the word vulnerable constantly. Like, I do not think people should be people leaders or be in serious relationships or great friendships unless they are vulnerable. Like period, end of story. Don't even be going to therapy unless you're going to be vulnerable because you are you need to be honest with yourself and you need to be honest with others. You need to say, these experiences are bogging me down or these experiences make me really happy or I'm not really sure how to feel about this. And those are conversations you bring to your manager too to tie it back to work. Like managers are meant to be the person to help you get your job done. 
right? And to help you level up. I constantly tell my team members, your job is to take my job away from me. I want you to get so incredibly great at what you do that like, if I ever leave, you're the next person to be looked at, right? Like that's my job to get you there. I can only get people there if they're vulnerable with me and I'm vulnerable with them. So start a new organization. You're a team leader. These people are coming to you with questions and you don't know the answer. You just started, you're ramping up. It's okay to say, I don't know, right? Like I don't know what have you done in the past? Let's learn this together and let me evaluate whether or not I think this is the best path we should continue to go down. But to say, I don't know, is so powerful for your employees. It will really build that trust quickly. And I think that's just any relationship, right? Like, I don't know how to navigate this situation. Let's figure this out together. I've noticed in my own marriage when i break down my defenses a little bit. And I'm like, okay, Lauren, don't get mad at him because he put the laundry away wrong or whatever it is. And I just say, okay, I don't know how to feel about this, like in my brain. And let me just approach it differently. And maybe he didn't know. And we have a, like a normal conversation about it. And I'm a little bit vulnerable. And I say, I'm not really happy with what just happened there. Can we talk about this? And he'll roll his eyes at me for a second, but we'll have that communication and then it's over, right? And you move on and you didn't explode at one another. It was just healthy. It takes a long time to get there, but I think that's incredibly important. Sorry, I went off on a tangent. <laughs> no, so many good words, like so many golden nuggets in there. And I appreciate your vulnerability. And I'm glad that I hit a personal, a personal note there because I think it's important just thinking about like the ties to how do I show up personally and then how do I show up professionally? It just is a door to personal growth. And in that personal growth, you can find massive professional growth and success as well. So no, I appreciate everything you just said. And speaking of toxic relationships, <laughs> I want to move into something that I think a lot of people deal with. And I have been in a very toxic work environment before. And, you know, it's interesting. I feel like when I was in it, I didn't even know that I was in it. Like I was blinded, blinded. Potentially maybe there was some narcissism involved. You know, I just feel like so many people like cannot recognize when they're in toxic work environments. What would you say, both being in your role and having been in those toxic environments, what are the signs? What are the red flags that kind of differentiate between a healthy workplace environment from a toxic one? Big identifiers for me have always just been the constant fear or dread of opening your computer or your phone or Slack or whatever it is. Anxious, just pure anxiety, right? Like like the Sunday scaries, dislike that term greatly, but the Sunday scaries, right? Like, oh my gosh, but it's every day. No boundaries, no work-life balance. You have a block on your calendar to do work and people are booking meetings over it. I hate that more than anything. I think it's so disrespectful time managers or leaders being late to meetings or completely disregarding that you have one or whatever it is, right? Like this, that blatant disregard for you as a human and having no seat at the table, no voice. So you have a, a meeting and you have an idea and it's just blown over or it's not elaborated on, or you don't have an opportunity to say something or you're a female in a room full of males and you don't feel like you can say something because you're nervous too or what have you. And that's just one example. I know it goes both ways, but 
I think those are pretty big indicators. Those are the ones that jump out at me from my history. Those are great examples. And I think within some of those is really interesting because we have a tendency to put it on us, you know, like the last one you said, being a woman in a room full of men and feeling nervous to speak up. Mm-hmm. Some people would say, I have imposter syndrome, right? <laughs> when it's like, hold on, look at the system, look at the room in which you're operating in. Is this a you problem for real? Right. Or is this a symptom of an unhealthy environment and really needing to differentiate between the two? So I think that that's one thing that maybe blinds people from noticing that they're in a toxic workplace environment is the constant individualism of this is my fault. This is something for me to deal with. This is something that I have to fix instead of looking outward at the total system or the whole system or the environment and thinking, okay, am I doing everything I can control? Or if I am, then what else is going on that maybe needs to change? Yeah. And I think also from my experience, I always happened, especially when I was um, starting Betaworks Studios and I was becoming a founder, I was the only female on the team. And I also happened to be, I think I was the youngest founder in the group. No one ever built what we were building before, right? So it was like this, we invented it. We literally invented what we were doing. And that was super cool to be part of. But I felt very self-conscious to share what I was thinking because I didn't really know what I wanted to say. And then we actually had like a coaching session with a friend of ours come in and he saw that I was starting to say things and that they were meaningful, but I couldn't really get there. And he was like, guys, just guys, let her talk, like, let her get it out. Even if it's a whiteboard and she write, like, let, let her just word vomit and we're going to extract something from this. And it happened a couple times and every time it did, we extracted something meaningful from it that ended up going into what we were building. And that changed everything for me. It was like someone advocated for me, first of all. Someone gave me the confidence that I needed. And then it was validated by my peers, people that I really looked up to saying, fuck yeah, like that's the direction we need to go in. So I don't think it always happens in that way. And I was pretty lucky that it did for me. But I think the confidence and the validation goes a really long way for people. Hmm. What you said about advocacy, right? Having that person in the room that can really observe what's going on and see this person needs to use their voice and I can feel they have something really great to say. Let's make space for them where we're not just thinking in our ego brains about what we want to say next and how we want to contribute and be powerful in this organization. It's looking around at the environment and the other individuals and how we can lift everybody up. Okay. If you're in a toxic workplace environment, you realize it. How do you address it? I mean, I know every situation is going to be different, but like maybe an example of here's a good way to start thinking about addressing different areas of a toxic workplace. Yeah, that's a toughie. I am hopeful that everyone listening (laughs) and if you manage people, trust. (laughs) Trust is a big one. So No matter who it is in the organization, whether it's a manager or a head of people or another leader that you feel like you have a good relationship with, I think it comes down to trust, right? So can you go to someone within your organization and say, hey, I'm noticing these things or I'm noticing this pattern. 
Am I the only one? Am I taking this the wrong way? How would you suggest I navigate this? And maybe you'll open up something where, okay, yeah, no, I've noticed that too. And then maybe it is a toxic workplace issue. There's also the feedback surveys and employee NPS surveys. You need to voice the truth in those if you have the opportunity. And if your surveys are not anonymous within your organization, you should make the request to have them be anonymous. When we do employee NPSs, they're completely anonymous. I asked even the admin or HR leader, I can't see who submitted it. Like, I actually don't want to. You can put your name if you want to. Let people feel safe, right? Let people feel like they can give a one rating out of 10 and say, this place sucks to work and here's the ways you can get better. I would so much rather know that than tens all around, right? Like I want to know the hard truth and I want to figure out a way as a head of HR or people to go to the leadership team and package it up and say, 10 out of a hundred people said this, we need to focus our efforts on improving this, right? Like this should be an OKR for us as a leadership team for the next quarter, right? So you identify it, you identify it in a public setting. So at an all hands or something like that, hey, here's the things we extracted from the employee NPS survey that were negative. Here's some of the good things, but this is what we're going to focus working on to make this a better place to work, right? It all goes down to trust to me. So I think if you can identify it in a way that you're comfortable, that would be the best way. Mm, yeah, great suggestions. Question, just want to dig in on that one a little bit because I've been in this situation and I've heard this so many times. Say you're in this environment where you really want to say something. You really want to say, this is fucked up. <laughs> and there's room for you to say that. I have heard, well, I don't want to get reprimanded. I work with a manager where I know the first thing that they're going to do is try to identify by my writing style, by whoever's writing style, who said that. And then they're going to know that it's me. And then they're scared of retaliation. What do you do in that situation? Well, first off, I mean, feedback should only go to like the head of HR. Like, I don't think it should go to a pool of leaders. I'm not a believer in that. I think it should go to one person that is meant to represent both sides, right? So the person that is supposed to, or the group of people that are supposed to think about the business and advocate for the employees. That's always how I think about HR. Think about the business, care about the business, care about the business outcomes, advocate for the employees where you can, right? I'm not going to look at someone's writing style. I know half the time who's submitting things, but I don't care. It's still real feedback, unless it's totally biased where it's like, Lauren is a terrible leader because she said this one thing that one time, and I know I said it to one person, then I sort of have to remove that, which never happened, by the way. I'm just using it as an example, but like I have to extract that, right? Because then if it's about a manager or it's about another employee, that's a different discussion, right? We separate that and we say, hey, I noticed that you submitted feedback. I really want to talk about it with you. Let's have a session where we can brainstorm on the problem that you're facing. That's what your HR person or your people leader should do for you. So identify problems people are having within the organization. Even if you see something on Slack, like a weird interaction happen, I can tell you how many times a week, it's gotten better, but how many times a week I'll see something on Slack and I'll ping a manager and be like, is that a normal way that this person communicates? And they're like, oh yes, or oh no. And if it's an oh no, let me reach out to them and be like, hey, is everything going okay today? And let me talk to them, right? Like you need to be hands-on to make sure people are doing okay and that we're retaining talent. 
I think that's great. And I think it makes the case again for how critical having a role like this in your organization of any size is really important because think about how many things are on the plate of a leader. And then if it is a toxic work environment and they are kind of looking to dig into things, right? Like that's just so subjective. And so to have somebody that is really dedicated to the advocacy of the people, the health of the organization, who isn't going to come at it from that subjective standpoint, I think is so important and really, really valuable in creating that trust, creating that safe space, creating the ability for people to have psychological safety at work. Right. So Lauren, if you had a room full of 100 senior executives and you had the microphone, it's all you, what would your message be to them? I think I have two top of mind. I'm sure the second one won't surprise you, but I see so often companies get some money in the bank and they go on a hiring binge. Please don't overhire. Just don't overhire. Just wait, right? Like, let's just see what we need. Let's see what we actually need to build. Let's see what the product roadmap looks like before we give people really false hope that our company is growing or they're going to have a job forever. No one wants to do layoffs. No one wants to do terminations. Let's just wait a minute, right? If that means that your team has to work a little longer or work a little harder, spot bonus them. Throw them some of that money you got, but don't hire people for the sake of hiring people and showing that your headcount is growing. I think it could be used against you. And hire people leader to help figure that out. I do not, oh man, I can say this until I'm blue in the face. Don't wait until something goes wrong at your organization to hire somebody to help you with people or HR or anything. It doesn't have to be ahead of people. It could be a generalist. It could be a coordinator, whatever it is, right? But hire somebody that has the ear of the CEO or the GM that can help make decisions to drive and move the people in the company forward and to figure out what the culture looks like to figure out if you have to do a return to office, what that will impact, right? If you want to hire, what are the hiring best practices? Compensation analysis, a couple times a year, make sure people are getting paid what they're worth. These are things that people don't have time for that are starting companies or leading companies. You should have people on your team that are dedicated to the happiness of your team. Yeah, and I think it falls in the category of even if you don't have time, it's important and it's urgent and you need somebody there to be doing those things. Some of my favorite founders that I've worked for, people are like, why do you love them so much? There's so many reasons, but one of the biggest reasons was they handled the investments so God, thoughtfully, you know, like they really thought about growth and scale and how are we using this money? When are we going to ask for money? Does it make sense to ask for money right now? Oh. And we've declined investments, you know, and I think that having that foresight and being able to think about how to grow the team instead of just going into that growth mode, scale mode, let's fucking do this, right? Like you really, really got to pay attention to that. And you will gain a lot of respect if you do that because it's someone's job security. And again, 80% of your life, as you said. I think that has changed or will continue to change because of all of the strange economic 
downturn that's sort of been happening. I don't think people are going to hire like crazy. I think we've gone through the newest wave of like layoffs and and hiring talent issues, but it will happen again and people will raise a lot of money again, right? And I just want people to keep in the back of their head that if you've been laid off before, just don't forget that feeling as a leader, right? Like really make sure that you are hiring for roles that you need and where people feel valued and that they're making impact. Hmm. Yeah. Plus one. All right, Lauren, anything that you want to leave our listeners with, you know, they're emerging executives, they're current executives and leaders, leading teams, busy. What do you want to leave them with that could enhance their personal and professional growth and just allow them to show up the best they can? Yeah. Oh, this is interesting. Final thoughts with Lauren. Communicate communicate, communicate, I please, in every aspect of your life, I think. Being honest with your team and being vulnerable with them will go such a long way. I'm not saying tell them exactly how much money you have in the bank at all times, but I think being honest is incredibly important and has amazing outcomes. And my favorite quote or piece of advice I've ever gotten, which maybe doesn't necessarily tie into this, but probably is... um absorb chaos and don't create it. I got that piece of advice early in my career and I live and breathe it. I want to be a pillar of like calm for people that I work with. And there are going to be crazy situations every single day, especially in a startup. But if you could be the calm in the sea of chaos and say, okay, we're going to get through this, right? I think you're going to rise above and stand out as a leader. So highly recommend that. Lauren, the transmuter of chaos. <laughs> I love it. Right. <laughs> nice. You talked to me about eight years ago. That would not be the quote I got, but thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, it has been so fantastic. A, just connecting with you. This was like a random cold DM, by the way, for everybody listening. And I'm so happy about it. And B, having you on and your wealth of knowledge. And I just appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing some really, really amazing tips and examples for everyone out there. So thank you. Of course. Thanks for having me. And if anyone wants to reach me, they can find me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Thanks, Lauren. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. I hope you walk away with something empowering that you can take into your own leadership journey. Are you a high-performing executive looking to take your career to the next level? Or maybe you're an emerging leader who wants to develop the skills you need to advance in your role and show up authentically. Or maybe you're experiencing burnout and struggling to find a better work-life balance. Whatever your situation is, one-on-one coaching can help you achieve your personal and professional goals. If you're interested in experiencing the power of coaching for yourself, head on over to hypehousecoaching.com backslash start coaching now, where you can set up a one-on-one leadership and executive coaching intro session for free. Remember, the only hype that really matters is the hype within.